My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. I never was a shepherd for years and years and years. I debated, I debated with folks, strangers, frankly, who insisted otherwise, sometimes very passionately. Typically, the mindset that led to such debates fell under a mysterious, spiritually charged if-then sort of reason, okay? If you're on a stage, then surely you must be meant for some higher purpose, you know, a grander, more eternal purpose. Now listen, there was a time when I thought the same way, okay? It was just too easy to put those pieces together. And if I'm being honest here, there was a sort of an ego stroke involved, okay? You know? Hey, maybe I'm a prophet or something. <laughs> you know, because prophets are something to be proud. I don't know that prophets ever think. Uh, anyway, okay. You grow up in an American Christian household. Under an American Christian culture, there's a kind of weird assumption, okay? It, it takes up a life of its own. I'm hoping it's just a cultural thing. I don't know. I, I only know my own, so yeah. No. I don't think it's that surprising. You grow up around surfers. You know, if people start noticing that you can surf, they expect you to do more. If you're around artists and your stuff moves people, great things are expected. If you're on the streets, running with the tough crowd. Okay, you get it. Here's the thing. All those examples portray, A, a person trying to be great at doing the thing they do, okay? B, in one way or another, a person who has worked to be where they are, even if you're some street tough, some rascal. <laughs> And see, they are all free of any supernatural implications, okay? If you're a Christian and you're surfing, no one's going like, whoa, man, this guy was meant to say, I don't know. I just don't think the same things get thrown on you. But a musician, it's totally different. And I think this falls into the conflict that seems to have deep, deep roots in so many aspects of my life that I've gone on and on about here. I'm not going to do that. The thing is, a Christian person trying to be a musician is so rarely allowed to be that and that alone. Or at least that's the way it used to be. There was almost always other expectations involved. And because so many of us didn't know how to handle those expectations, the waters got a little muddy. Okay? And, and over years, impossible. Although now, I, it seems the muddy waters have no longer sustained life and uh, those days are over. <laughs> oh, bye. Okay, back on message, shepherding. For me, it was a mantle I thought I needed to pick up. I thought I was supposed to pick it up. Not because I felt called by God to do so, okay? But because I felt like I should feel called by God to do so. And then one day, I just realized I was a disaster. <laughs> 
I've mentioned it before. One night, I was asked to preach a message uh, at a church in Diamond Bar, California. I can still remember sitting on the stage with my I had this hat. It was pulled so low because I was so nervous. Anyway, I got up there unprepared and honestly, not really wanting to do this. I didn't want to be there, but I thought like, this is what I'm supposed to do, you know? Then I rambled incoherently uh, without any real message of substance, okay? I repeated things I'd heard others say. I did things I'd seen others do. I made no sense. And I feel like I might have unintentionally spoken heresy. (laughs) At the very least, gross inaccuracy. And I laugh because I know that God knows. I I know he knows my heart. And I know he knows that the joke was on me. I don't know. I realized that night, this is not for me. And when I finally let go of that weight, again, a weight I never believed with my whole heart was my calling. You know, just wanted to make some great music, be a part of something generating something beautiful. When I let that go, I was so relieved that I can't even express it fully. Okay, I was set free. Look, read Romans 12, 3 through 8. Okay, I could read it here, but I just feel like maybe this isn't the spot. I would just say this, not everybody's supposed to do the same thing. All these roles, it seems to me that the one consistent property in in being where you're supposed to be and called to be is peace and freedom. Yes, indeed. I was free to not be not me. (laughs) I just made that up. I'm sorry. Look, some of us are preachers and teachers and some of us really, really aren't. Okay, that's all it is. But again, some of us are. My guest tonight, if you don't know already, I think it will be clear here. My guest tonight is passionate and eager to teach, to preach, and to shepherd. It turns out she's been doing it for quite a while. Yes, this evening from Five Iron Frenzy, Scum of the Earth Church, and currently The Fast Feeling, more on that later, once known by a name that rhymes with Chef the Twirl. What? Don't be mad. No more. We are going to hang out with Leonor Ortega Till. That is her name. That's what you should call her. Leonor. Leonor's probably fine. Um, and I think you're going to dig it. So enough about me. Let's go. But first... So, one last thing before we get started. Here's usually where I ask you to jump onto the Patreon page and do your thing or whatever. Um, And we're going to kind of twist that a little bit later on. Um, But I wanted to tell you that this recent gap in between shows, uh, it was not what I planned. I thought I had this all worked out. Um, Best I can tell you right now is that I will tell you more some other time for now I want to say thank you again thank you dearest never was is for sticking by me for supporting the show even supporting it on the Patreon page uh, when the well was a little dry there for a minute but also for liking the Facebook page for writing me emails and for being generally awesome and encouraging Uh, this is the thing sometimes life gets a little dark okay takes a minute to get out from under this stubborn cloud that shows up in my head from time to time. 
I'd like to think it's gone for a while. But you know, I don't know. I never know. So uh, at least I never know about that, right? Suffice to say, the fact that there is uh, more to the story that I would probably never tell is all the reason I can cite for why this took so long, if that makes any sense. But that was then, and here we are now. So what I do know is that we have a brand new show and an awesome guest, and here you are, and here I am, and I'm yapping, and you're listening, so let's do this. Leonor Ortega Till. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> We're going to pretend that we just started talking right now. Hi. Hey, how, how are you doing? I'm great. How have you been? I'm good. Living the dream, dude. Yeah. Where are you currently? I live in Denver, Colorado. Where else would I be? This is the only place. <laughs> uh, that's how all of you five iron frenziers are, I think. Well, three moved away, but yeah, five of us are still here holding down. Denver. I'd go there. I'd go yeah. there. Yeah, it's awesome. You probably will come here. Everyone ends up here. It's fine with me. That's fine. Anything away from the swamp is good, I think. Right. <laughs> how long has it been? I mean, obviously we caught up the other day, but how long had it been since I talked to you? Probably. Well, I remember probably the last time we hung out was at the um, Spoken Word Tour, which yes. I think was 2004, maybe. Yeah. 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 That was so a decade. Right, right. <laughs> More than a decade. That's a long time. What's going on? Well, uh, I, I heard I heard you guys were making a record or something. Oh yeah, you already no, no, did, no, no, and no, it no. was huge. <laughs> we did that. Can you believe that? I never ever ever thought we'd get Five Iron would get back together, but we did that. 2011, we made an album. I heard you guys were getting back together, and you're going to tour all the time, all the big Christian festivals, nonstop oh. <laughs> forever. <laughs> I don't think they'll have us. Other than, well, they might. I don't know. Um, we have been playing a lot of shows though, which is awesome. So you guys are actively playing right now. Yeah. So um, after we got back together in 2011, we released an album. And then probably the biggest thing we did was go on tour with Real Big Fish. In 2013, we did a legit 20-day tour with them. And then after that, we've been doing probably once a month flyouts for the past few years, uh, mostly playing with MXPX, but a lot of other bands too. Awesome. That's a good match. it's It's so fun. It's so rad. I love it. Yeah. I would love to see you guys play again. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, I mean, it came back kind of like riding a bike, I guess. The first practice in 2011 was rough. We all just stared at each other. And then eventually it's like, like I said, riding a bike. <laughs> when you're on your first practice, were you just trying to like play some of the old songs and kind of get comfortable yep. or did you immediately start trying to write? Oh, no, no, no. Um, we, we started practicing the old songs, but Scott, who is super prolific, Scott Kerr, that's kind of how we got back together. We had a barbecue and all our families were hanging out and he said he'd been writing songs and wanted to hear all of us on them again. And I was like, don't joke around about this because that would be so awesome. <laughs> and he had, he already had a bunch of songs and pretty much right off the bat, we were writing and practicing at the same time. That is awesome. We're going to jump in there, but I want to tell the story of Leonor. <laughs> And I want to know where you came from, because as far as I know, and as far as a lot of people know, you just appeared in Five Iron Frenzy one day. You you weren't. Right. You don't have any history prior to that. That's true. And we need to know this. We need to know this. (laughs) Well. So where'd you come from? Um, Tiny little town in in Colorado, uh, about 800 people on a dirt road by a cornfield. 
My parents are both Mexican Americans. Um, my dad, both all my grandparents are from Mexico, but my dad uh, was from Greeley, Colorado, so a North Sider, nice accent, kind of talks like Cheech. And my mom <laughs> was a migrant worker. No, I'm not kidding. My dad totally like That's I need awesome. a beer is like his favorite phrase. My mom was a migrant worker and didn't we work. need to get him on here. <laughs> You should get him with Mike Carrera's dad. They're both named Arthur and they both support the goatees. Arthur is awesome. Uh, my mom was a migrant worker. She didn't learn English till she was in second grade and I grew up in rural New Mexico and they met in the Air Force. And I was raised, um, I was raised more Mexican-American than Christian, if that makes any sense. So I didn't really hmm. know the Bible. I didn't really know Christians were supposed to be Republican, whatever that is. I don't know, like where I grew up, <laughs> Christians were Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> JFK kind of started that movement with the farm workers and giving a damn about Mexicans. You speak heresy, heresy. Sorry, that's the way I grew up. And and culturally, I just grew up um, kind of as a jerk. I mean, there was a little bit of loving the Lord and loving people, but honestly, underneath there was do what you can to survive. And some people suck and look out for yourself. Hmm. And I met Micah at church camp. I think I was 12 okay. at a four square church camp up in the mountains. And he was an Ortega. He said he was Micah Ortega. And I said, I'm Leonor Ortega. And I said, where are you from? And he said, Aurora. And I said, Pierce. And we didn't connect until about four days later, we figured out our grandpas were brothers. What? So yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Wow. That's a very small world. Well, it's a small world with the four, but the four square church. So my grandpa got saved at an altar call when he was hired at age 21 as this good looking Mexican kid to drive two Caucasian women to a revival in LA. And he went down for an altar call and got saved wow. and came back and started the Spanish church over here in Greeley. So awesome. a lot of our family is Foursquare. Yeah, pretty cool. Okay. So anyway, when I met Micah, I saw something was weird about him. And what it is is that he never made fun of people. He didn't get wasted. He didn't hide behind the chapel to smoke like a lot of us did. <laughs> he, I don't know, something was legit about him in a way that I hadn't met other Christians I, I just always knew like people who are trying way too hard. Gotcha. And then a couple of years later, I met his friends, Reese and Keith. He brought them to church camp and he brought Larry Landis and Reese had hair like down to his butt. Long, Weird. long hair. I can't picture that at all. He looked, he looked cute. He looked like Sebastian Bach. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll send you pictures. It's wow. picture Sebastian Bach. Serious with a pretty boy face. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll just picture it. That's me picturing Reese with like leather pants and no shirt. No, I'm good. <laughs> oh, no, no. Anyway, these guys were real Christians. Yeah. They read their Bible. They knew theology and they, uh, they were different. They were different than anyone. They talked to women by looking them in the eye. They, you know, they could care less. The girls thought they were awesome. They didn't make fun of people. They treated everyone well. The worst word they ever said was jerk. And so they asked me essentially to start coming to shows. And I started going Mortal. Oh, Mortal yeah. was a big show yeah, I went to yeah. go see. And they were in a metal band. Reese and Keith and Micah and Scott and Andy were in a metal band called Exhumator. Whoa. Okay. You want to guess what that means? <laughs> Razor of the Dead maybe? Or? Yeah, dude. That sounds about. <laughs> Don't you get the, do you get the Christ very, Exhumator? Very uh, artsy. Yeah. Deep. <laughs> yeah, I know. I bet their logo looked just like splattered entrails and blood dripping everywhere. Oh, let me tell you, I don't want to start a, a ruckus here, but they wanted to be the crucified. <laughs> <laughs> Everything they did was crucified inspired. I mean, that was their that was their band. And so 
I had I knew nothing about this world growing up in the countryside. I didn't know there was Christian music. I knew about Carmen and Amy Grant. Ooh, yeah, ouch. I didn't know. I had no concept. So they started showing me Tourniquet and uh, Vengeance Rising and mm-hmm. Crucified and all these bands. And I was like, no way, no way. So anyway, I went to one of their shows and they basically said they were starting a ska band. They said they were going to start a ska band because metal was too angry and they weren't angry people. Right. And they're goofy. You know, they're kind of goofy guys. What? what and, whatever. Uh, what? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but they were they were kind of embarrassed. They're like, well, we're going to try the ska side project. And they're like, do you play saxophone? Because they had heard from Micah I did. And I said, yeah. And Reese said, I've always wanted to be in a band with a girl. And Andy said, do you love the Lord? And I said, yeah. They were like, okay, be in the band. And it was kind of that easy. Sweet. Like I. So, well, the worst part is I sucked. I was really bad at saxophone. Nonsense. Really? Oh, man. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Scott could tell you stories of making me cry, like just standing in the studio <laughs> clapping and being like, if you can't record, I will hire someone from the college to play your part. Figure uh. it out. <laughs> you got better, yeah, though. There were some rough times. Oh, man. Yeah. So when I joined Five Iron, one of my first f- funniest memories of me was like I said, culturally, I had no concept of this and I was pretty much being discipled by them. I knew nothing. Mm-hmm. And we're getting ready to go to a show and I'm in the back of the van and I light up a cigarette and they all turn around and they're like, we don't smoke. And I was like, we as in the band or we as in Christians. And they're like, we just don't. <laughs> so cold turkey, I just quit. I was like, oh, we don't. Okay. No kidding. No, no, we don't. Yeah, no, that was that. Yeah. And I had a lot to learn. I had a lot to learn about. They started having a Bible study at their house. I'm trying to picture Leonor smoking a cigarette. <laughs> See, yeah, see, that's funny. but culturally there was no big deal. Like everyone in my family started probably at age 16. I mean, both my parents yeah, smoked yeah. in the house, in the car, you know, you, you stopped smoking, quit cold Turkey. And now you're in a Bible study with the, that's a pretty major change right there. Overnight, <laughs> overnight. Yeah. It was, it was intense. I was the Bible study at the band house. We pretty much lived in poverty for a lot of years, which was really fun. And we would have communion with Twinkies and grape soda. <laughs> But that's cool. Reese and Keith, of course, to them, it was like the most sacred thing. Oh, yeah. So heaven forbid you make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's cool, though. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. It was like, it was cool. I was learning a lot. Sincere. I was learning about caring about homeless people right off the bat. I was, yeah. um, I was learning a lot about theology. Like Keith was really into theology. So and Micah, I mean, I was learning a lot from Micah, Dennis, um, Andy. Scott, all the guys, they love the Lord and they were teaching me. They had no idea they were teaching me. They didn't know. Like they, I could, you know, no one knew that, that I didn't really know much about Christianity, but those were the years. And then 95 or 96, 96, I went to Cornerstone. And that was the first year that I knew that there are Christian punks and rappers and goths, (laughs) Christian goths. What? (laughs) What? So new, so new. All this was... I mean, people from the 80s have been doing this kind of weird Christianity thing, and I had no idea that it wasn't yeah. just one brand, one size fits all. So that's me. There's my story, I guess. That that part. Buffalo were dead there. Trees they all went through. And if they saw some engines. 
Uh, I remember you had mentioned uh, when we were talking the other day, like the cultural differences, you know, in the way the guys interacted, like you had, you weren't sure about a couple of the dudes in the band, like uh, just their personalities. I don't want to say it. <laughs> yeah. You thought a couple of dudes I might be gay. I, I will say some of the band or something. Yeah. I, no, I had never heard, I had never heard Christian men or men listen to ABBA and ELO. <laughs> okay. So think of my dad. We're Mexican machismo is a big deal. You don't show emotions. You, I was taught at a young age, you do not cry. And then to meet some of these guys in Five Iron and they're listening to ABBA and cuddling each other and playing with action <laughs> figures um, and wearing earrings, like a lot of earrings and necklaces. I know, I thought maybe some of these guys were in relationships with one another or certainly just, <laughs> certainly just, I don't know. They, <laughs> I was not used to this cultural, this cultural way of being. And also, as far as Mexican-Americans go, there's a chivalry that comes there. Like if there's one couch, okay. the woman is going to get the couch, not with five iron. If there's one couch, every guy is putting their sleeping bag on it and giving me a dirty look. Like, I mean, not Dennis, <laughs> not Dennis because of generational, he's a little older and not Keith because mm-hmm. he was sweet and maybe not Brad because he's scared of me, but everybody else would uh, definitely be like, nah, fend for yourself. <laughs> I mean, everybody I was in a band with, we all grew up pretty much in the same sort of scenario, you know? Yeah. So you guys, you get together and start playing some songs. I mean, were you playing churches and youth groups and stuff? No, in the beginning, um, not at all. In the beginning, we were like one of the only ska bands in Denver. And so we were opening up for Cherry Pop and Daddies, for um, Less Than Jake, for Pie Tasters, all the quote unquote, secular bands, essentially, because there weren't any other ska bands. There was maybe two in Denver, two in Colorado. And so anytime there was a, a ska band that came through or even punk bands, we would open up. And then once in a while, we would play. Um, there was one church that would let us play, maybe two. Uh, but mostly it was like coffee shops and student unions and clubs. And, uh, and, and it was going pretty well. But we wanted to, um, there's a verse in Galatians that talks about doing good to believers also. So early on, we decided to purposefully do try to do 50% secular shows and 50% Christian shows, mostly because we realized that a lot of Christian kids couldn't get good music. Yeah. And um, I mean, sad to say, but like, you know, if, if you're in that world, you deserve good music too, just as much as, sure. and especially because some of our um, lyrics are more provocative and more looking at bigger pic- picture social issues. And mostly we thought our message was good for the church to hear. So we got a lot of flack on both sides. I mean, there was obviously flack from Christians that were like, no, 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 you can't. The first song we ever released, The Old West, when you play our first album, the first song is about manifest destiny. And one of the lyrics is, let's rape and kill and steal. And we talk (laughs) about how, I know, we talk about how, you know, people took over the Native American land in the name of God. Yeah. And all the injustice is done. That's our first song. (laughs) And, uh, so we got flack for those kind of Wacky, things. Wacky, silly ska band, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> They're harmless. Wow. They wear costumes. We dress like dinosaurs. Wow. And <laughs> I just think I, they're probably not used to it, you know? No, we had this guy that he really was upset and he was in the, the ska scene in, in Denver and he made, he put it, took it upon himself to make stickers that said, Keep your Bible out of my ska punk boycott Five Iron Frenzy. Wow. So we thought that was pretty funny and uh, started 
putting the stickers on our t-shirt and wearing it. You of know. course. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, that is the appropriate Whatever. response, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you would say that about when you guys first started and the 50-50, uh, you know, Christian and non-Christian shows. I mean, when The Crucified first started, there wasn't a Christian scene. We played with secular bands all the time. It really wasn't a, anything anybody thought about. We just wanted to play shows, you know? Right. I, I, I think only until later did that become like a thing. And it sort of took this whole, like it's, it took on a life of its own. Right. Because originally that never was the case. It was just any bands playing anytime they could and in front of any people that they could. And that, I think the sad, well, I was just going to say, especially the, the, the idea that, you know, Christian kids deserve some good music too. Like (laughs) if you think about contrast that way of thinking with 10 years later, where, it was like an, a world unto its own and so completely separated from the general market and secular world or whatever, you know, like that's a, that's a pretty major shift that happened in a really short amount of time. And one of the probably saddest things that accidentally came out of that was that live music was segregated to churches that were not designed to have live oh, music. Man. So what happens is the band's music is never showcased well. And that's why we don't do churches now is because churches aren't set up with sound systems and light systems and they have pews and, or they have, you know, gymnasium. And so unfortunately the fans are getting a much subpar product than the experience that you would get the, I mean, you spend all this time with these instruments and then you can't (laughs) even hear them in, in the, in the Christian world. So I think that that, that was sad to say, a church is a better place for a concert than a music venue. Why? Because the devil lives at the music venue. Exactly. No. So I, yeah, I, I, I don't think that the Christian market did justice to the mu- music. I think that's an awesome point. That is an awesome point. Just such a change. Everything, not just the sound, which is huge, but the vibe. I mean, there's just nothing can be compared to going to a sweaty little dive to watch a band play and be ruckus and rowdy, you know, as opposed to being at a church with like fixed seating and the weird three steps up to the stage thing. I was always (laughs) such a dud. I mean, even much, much later, you know, Crucified got back together a couple of times in in the late like aughts, you know, 2009, 2010, and played a few shows at um, Calvary Chapel in uh, Diamond Bar. And, you know, this is years later. And the first one that we did, I mean, there was a lot of people there, but it was such a dud. It's such a drag. I know. And so awkward. <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, aside from the fact that we are all old, you know, it was just, I just remember thinking like, right. it was way more fun to play even like a, a high school auditorium or, or, um, right. Or an old movie theater. Yeah. Knights of Columbus halls, things like that. Like those <laughs> places were far more conducive, even with their subpar equipment, you know, meaning that it, it didn't cost a million dollars from, a right, fundraising right. drive over years, you know, it's just some cheap amp that somebody threw up on, you know, but that still was more <laughs> conducive to the rock show, you know? Right. I also think making Christian bookstores and having that be the primary place where Christians get their music makes no sense because if those don't exist, no. then all those bands suddenly will be in Best Buy and Walmart and Target and, you know, music stores is where I you know. go to buy music. So, you know, <laughs> But I'll tell you one thing, okay? This is probably, this is so many years later that why not share, right? Okay. So we started doing this thing called the Robin Hood Theory. And what we would do is because you could charge more and because venues would charge more that were Christian and festivals, 
we would save that money. And then we'd go and do a non-promoted tour, like a bar tour and pay ourselves and just pretty much pay play for free because, or a little bit, because um, we had money that we had saved from the big show. So the Robin Hood theory Ah. was just take from who gives and then give yourself later because the secular world can't afford what, what the Christian world will pay, but we need to be, you know, making money all those years touring, continuously touring. So that's kind of what we did. Like a festival would pay, you know, how much money and then just go play the Cactus Club in San Jose and nobody knows. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, those are, <laughs> those are fun years. Dave Zaker would have done that too, but we were so terrible with our money that we just were like, yay, we got paid $1,000. Let's all go out tonight, you know? <laughs> oh, you, you needed a dentist. We have an amazing man who's great at, yeah. Dennis is our trombone player and he's an amazing accountant. I mean, I feel bad for him that he always we're... has a fanny pack of money. Please nobody steal him. <laughs> <laughs> I did not say that. Well, not anymore now. Now it's square with square, <laughs> but you needed a dentist for sure. <laughs> we did, we did. Where were you, Dennis? Christian rock and all that stuff being what they were. I would just like to get your perspective on that kind of the transitional period. Like once the band started getting huge and once the style of music, definitely there was just something clicking right then, you know, 
for sure. Right. You guys really leapt out. I mean, the shows were such a blast. I still remember seeing Five Iron or uh, Cornerstone shows. I don't know that anybody was as fun as yours. I mean, I had so <laughs> much fun at those gigs, just hanging out in the crowd. And it's obvious to anybody, you know, there's definitely something cool happening here. Did that ever occur to you as it was happening? Like, did you kind of was it ever surprising to you? Like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of people. Yeah, all the time. There's a lot of people All here. the time. Like, <laughs> you go from playing one year of just Encore One and a couple people are there to the next year packed to the next year. And then finally, it was pretty much requested that we had to play main stage because the people wouldn't fit in Encore One. So yeah. it was like, you have to play main stage just for the safety of the crowd. <laughs> yeah. um, but we, we thought it was a big deal. One year, we we asked a friend to come out with life-size pinatas. So she drove to Chicago from Denver with about 10 pinatas. And we filled half <laughs> with candy and half with cream corn and pinto beans and then threw them in the crowd. And it was so funny watching kids rip them open and some of them just got oh. smeared. <laughs> So we would really, <laughs> Cornerstone is a big, big, big deal, you know, just waiting to see yeah. what kind of antics were going to happen. And also what, I mean, no small thing, but seeing what God would do because, yeah. um, you're not just, just Cornerstone, but one of the reason I think people liked our shows was you could go from moshing to some serious worship time, some yeah. legit time in a crowd. And, and for me, my favorite times in life well, I guess I would say some of the closest times to God in my life that I experienced something that is so surreal is uh, being on stage and feeling like you're in one accord with the crowd, like they're getting something and something's happening to them. And the same thing is happening to you. You're not on the stage. It's just, we're all experiencing this. I would say we've stepped into the sacred, like seriously, some sacred moments happened at Cornerstone and, and other shows too. Absolutely. As uh, you know, resistant as Dave Zaker was to I don't know, trying to preach or whatever the way, for whatever reason, there were definitely moments there at that festival where you felt a powerful communion with both God and your fellow believers. You know, I, I don't, right, I don't think right. that, I think that's definitely, you know, I always talk about missing the days of everybody knowing each other and all the bands having a great time there, but that was certainly part of it as well. Oh, well, one of the favorite memories, Mark, do you remember me asking you to Cornerstone prom <laughs> on the shuttle? <laughs> you, you, I was so oh, kidding. God. I was like this little punk rock chick <laughs> and I was so kidding. And all these people were in there and I said, Mark, will you go to Cornerstone prom with me? And you were so sweet and so kind. <laughs> and you said, I'm sorry, Jeff. I play that night. I play at that same time. Oh, let her down. And I turned bright red. I was like, he thinks I'm asking. Let him. her down easy. <laughs> Poor kid. Uh, yeah. Poor little androgynous Jeff. Poor little, uh, <laughs> poor little dim-witted Mark. <laughs> not, not super perceptive, <laughs> you know? Uh, you know what? I also, uh, I mean, I have to mention this because I've never forgotten. I mean, how many shows have you seen at Cornerstone, right? You've seen a lot of bands play. Tons, tons, yeah. And how many of them do you really remember though? You know, I could give some stories, but yeah. I remember Five Iron Frenzy playing. Like, again, like, I've probably seen 400 bands or shows over the years at Cornerstone. And I probably really remember three or four of them total. Wow. And one of them was a Five Iron Frenzy show when, Re I'm sure you guys did this a lot, but Reese like split the crowd up and said, this song is girls in the pit, only girls in the pit. Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, <laughs> I remember when he said it, you know, sometimes you're thinking as you're hearing something, your brain is moving a little faster, you know? Right. I was like, oh my gosh, it's genius. That's genius. That's genius. You know, and <laughs> as soon as he, as he said it, like the shrill 
cheer of the girls was so epic. <laughs> it's like, I was so jealous. Like, this right, is so cool, right. man. I remember that. That And that's a really good song too. It's called One Girl that's Army. And awesome. so that song, we had a couple different songs about women and those were always the girl mosh pits. Well, you know, I mean, not to get weird because I don't really, I'm not great at this, but you know, you had said that the guys mentioned, you know, they'd never been in a band with a girl before. You know, you just mentioned that song there. Most of the people on my show are dudes. You know, most of the people I know in music right. I'm sure. are yeah. dudes. What is that? Was that weird? Being like one Some, of maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, sometimes. You represent about 5% of Christian rock, by the way. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah add the uh, minority card and I'm like down yeah. there. Uh, my band would always joke that, that, you know, they're doing their part to add minorities and women to our band. We're a fair equal employer. <laughs> One fell swoop. Um, Got it. Yeah, it is. It is definitely different. I think for the secular crowd, for the secular bands, we did a tour called Ska Against Racism. Mm-hmm. And we had Less Than Jake, The Toasters, Blue Meanies, Kamuri, who else? Tons of bands. Uh, I can't even name them all right now, but there was like seven bands. And out of 36 musicians, I was the only female. And I think what's confusing for some bands and some guys in bands is they don't know how to just be friends with women sometimes. Either a woman is a conquest um, or she's a bitch. <laughs> so, so once they find out I'm, I'm not attainable, that's obnoxious maybe to them. Sure. But they're not sure of this friendship zone. And it, it got really fun to where you almost get to do a little bit mm. of mothering on tour because for men, for whatever reason, men aren't allowed to be vulnerable. and spiritual and considerate and have these long, deep conversations. So a lot of men in different bands would seek me out just to spill their hearts because Mm. they're on tour for months at a time. And they're certainly not going to talk to the guys like that. And sometimes it was good. And sometimes it was bad. Usually it was good. And I made a lot of friends out of guys that I'm still friends with a lot of the guys in bleach, a lot of the guys in Reliant K, a lot of the guys in Switchfoot, some of my most solid brother friends but every once in a while, a guy would get a massive crush because they'd be confused. <laughs> like, I'm sharing my heart with you, so obviously it's right, love. Right. <laughs> no, no, this is pastoring. This isn't love. Not to mention that a lot of the guys were immature. I mean, what are we like? We're talking 20-year-old guys, you know, still not sure who we are yet, you know? Right, right. I think the, I think probably one of the most interesting things about being a female and being in a band is the conversations about music. I eat, sleep, and breathe music. And so often I can't find in my female friendships the excitement I'll get about talking about the who versus Mm -hmm. Led Zeppelin, like a guy would. It's just hard to find that idiotic (laughs) passion (laughs) about something so stupid as music, but it goes beyond. So when I do find those girls, like I have found them, especially when we went on Warped Tour, I was meeting women that were into music. And, uh, when I when I meet those women, and I stay friends with them because there's a there's a language there that it's like, and I think a lot of Five Iron fans, the women that are Five Iron fans, they're awesome, they're quirky, <laughs> they're different than a lot of women too. Because to put up with the weirdness of this band, <laughs> they must have a lot of tolerance. There is, there, you guys are a little weird sometimes. <laughs> are you kidding? A little. <laughs> this song's called "It's So Hot I'm Gonna Have a Heat Stroke." Come from demanding that with me 
and I talked the other day, you had mentioned that, you know, you were kind of looking to this ne- next chapter. I mean, I guess we need to get there, though. Let's talk maybe a little bit about uh, Scum of the Earth and kind of that time period and, and coming out of, you know, right, right. in particular, though, the transition of of that time when, when you didn't think you were going to be in a band, at least when, when the band ended, you know? A lot, a lot of people, I think, don't understand what that's like to leave, you know? I think the biggest myth when you leave a band that was doing really well that became, for me, a lot of my identity and a lot of my ministry, pretty much my ministry became my identity. I think that it's hard not to believe that the best of the times are behind you. And so um, even though I got married the year after Five Iron broke up, I, I had a hard time believing that God was going to ever use me in a capacity like he had hmm. before. Yeah. And uh, it's a total lie, total, total crap, because that was looking at quality versus quantity. I mean, let's say, you know, like, like Bon Jovi says, you see a million faces and you rock <laughs> them all. What's that in comparison to rocking your husband's world and your two kids' world, right? Okay, so they're three people, but they matter so much, hmm, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a 10-year-old son and an eight-year-old daughter, and I've been married, I think, 12 or 13 years. I don't know, 12 or 13 years. Wow. Um, to where... <laughs> My ministry has gotten more compact, but no less relevant and no less, um, no less important to God. So uh, yeah. I became a pastor eventually. I got licensed through uh, the Alliance for Renewal Churches. I became a licensed pastor and started doing women's ministry, preaching, teaching at Scum of the Earth Church, which was founded by Five Iron Frenzy. Um, okay. Now, the past few years, I've been the last Five Iron member that attends there, and I've been on staff there. Um, it's been good. It's been awesome. I love doing women's ministry. I, I'd be the last person who I think would do that. I curate an art gallery that essentially was like a form of outreach, but not even so much as just a legit art gallery that didn't matter if you're a Christian or not. If you're an artist, you could be in the gallery if your caliber of art was good. Um, an artistic merit. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I know, right? Anybody's good enough. Doesn't matter if you're Christian or not, but if you're not good enough, you're not good enough. Yeah. So preaching has become my love actually. Um, And for the past couple of years, I've been thinking um, a big person for me has been Justin McRoberts, a big inspiration. And he was on Five Minute Walk and watching him go from musician to to basically someone who uses his voice. And you're doing that too. And Billy Power's doing that too. And a lot of people are saying, you know, I may not be relevant. I mean, the music is still relevant, but there's still an, an underlying message that the music only goes so far. And then, um, it's, it's good to have these conversations because for whatever reason, a lot of people aren't going to church anymore. They don't want to go to church. They don't want to step into church. And that is okay. And social media is changing it to where you can. It's a, it's a weird shift. It's a shift. And, and, I, and not to say that I devalue church. I think my best friendships and my, the beat of my heart is at the church. But what I'm going to say is that you can still find a community of believers, like-minded believers through social media in a way that you couldn't before. And so for whatever reason, God has given me a platform. Think, uh, yeah. Well, I was just going to say that uh, we just had some guests on the show. Uh, uh, I think my last episode, I had um, uh, Andy, Lara, and um, and Pastor Mike Erie on. And I think really their new church, Vox, kind of came as a result of social media. I mean, you know, right, right. To the, where totally. they grew to a point where they needed to have a building, but instead of the other right. way around, I think that's a pretty big difference. Fascinating. Oh man, I would love that. Maybe God will give me a church someday. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But in the meantime, in the meantime, I'm curious to see what God will do with the audience he's given me. And I want to make more time with that for that. I've been pouring into my scum community, my Denver community for 16 years. 
And now it's time to see, um, I'd like to travel. I'd like to speak. I'd like to see what God has for me. Um, if I open up the door to make myself available to whoever wants me to come speak. I love officiating weddings. I actually really love doing funerals mm-hmm. too. <laughs> oh, um, wow. <laughs> I do. I do. Well, I, I thought you were, you know, you were great on the spoken word tour. That was always... I don't know. You just have a way of kind of bringing people into the room that nobody feel like they're left out. I thought it was awesome. Right. What do you, what are you kind of envisioning here? I mean, are you going to start, I mean, you start doing a podcast or something, start talking to people, start. I don't know. I want to do podcasts first so I can wrap my mind around that. I know I definitely want to, um, probably, I don't like the word blog, but whatever. I want to write devotionals and maybe write a book. Sure. I have, uh, I have many sermons that I've done that are available to listen, but I want to take sections out of that and dig them even a little deeper Sure. with um, devotional concepts. I don't know. What, one thing I need to figure out, and I'm a little daunted, is I need to find a way to uh, receive funds because I do have a support team, but people do care about the nonprofit mm-hmm. status. And I do care about the um, accountability concept too. I don't want to just be a lone yeah. wolf out there. I, I need a team, a Christian team. So Praying about that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but, uh, but I'm excited. And I know that um, this is a plot twist in my life that I had not really envisioned, but <laughs> I'm super comfortable on stage and I want to, uh, I want to give God the glory in that, in that space. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. I would like, I would like to see that happen. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with, uh, with so much, I mean, you know, like you mentioned before, the guys uh, coming to you uh, confused because they're you know, 25 years old and still aren't really sure how to, right. how to do this thing. But, but what you said, I thought was so cool was like, no man, this is pastoring. <laughs> right. I mean, no, it's true. And that's, that's, what's interesting is that I love to shepherd and by shepherd, I mean, well, back in the day in Psalm 23, when they talk about a, a flock and when they're talking about a pen for sheep, they didn't have a gate that went in and out. The shepherd himself would lay where the gate was. So the sheep could leave, but he would lay down there and keep them in. And I have this burden to see people stay in the flock, whatever the flock looks like for them, the flock of belief, the flock of hope, the flock of trying, the flock of authenticity, even the flock of doubt rather than um, uh, being a chameleon. I love that. I love fighting this Christian good fight with fellow people and having the hard conversations. But there's too many people that think it has to be beautiful and it has to be easy and it has to be compact and it has to be um, lined up a certain way. And it doesn't. If God could take a Hispanic young woman out of her context and put her in this context where, for whatever reason, men and women give a shit about what she says, maybe she should use that audience. And maybe she, yeah. she should use that energy to do good. So there's no way I can give up on the audience and there's no way I can give up on this um, this timing because it's not going to be forever. <laughs> you know, it's a short no. span that they, people care again, sure. right? Yeah, I mean, maybe from here, but who knows? Who knows what grows off of that? I mean, you just never know. Right. You, you've always had your, always had a little, there's an intimidation with you because you're a pretty confident person. Um, and, and, uh, you know, that terrifies people. <laughs> Mark Solomon is saying I'm intimidating. Do you know how people see you and your eagle eyes and your eagle neck moves from stage? That you doesn't make any sense to me. You are intimidator, dude. I've, oh, you have no idea. That's never made any sense to me. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> So deep by life and 
Reese Roper is that that guy could show up. He preaches too, but when he shows up, he doesn't do his work. He doesn't do his homework. He just speaks from his heart. And he reminds me of David from the Bible because he can always be like, ha ha, I didn't make a sermon and everyone will laugh and forgive him. And by the end, you're crying because he tells some true story about his heart on his sleeve and <laughs> something he did that failed and what God taught him. I've kind of learned by watching him to some degree about, you know, we, we, we don't come perfect. And the, you know, there's one song that I wrote for Five Iron that's called All That Is Good. And it was awesome because Reese sang the lyrics, but I got to write the words and it says, you know, perfection never was a requirement, hmm. although some might say we desired it. And the idea that, ah, it rhymes. But the idea <laughs> that, you know, perfection, this concept, take grace out of the picture. I mean, I could go, I could talk for honestly two hours about grace. Grace is my, my jam, you know, hmm. and I had no concept because I grew up Pentecostal. So you sin, then you go down at the altar call and you do a demonstrative you know, you get forgiven and then you sin and then you get forgiven and you sin and you get forgiven. You're never accepting the grace. Hmm. Never. You're missing that step. You're crossing over it. If you truly accepted, believed and understood that Jesus forgave you and take you where you are, you would be in a much different place when you came to that sin part. You, you may think ahead. You may believe different things about yourself and your beliefs are what's going to change your behaviors, not the other way around. You can't behave yourself into believing. You just can't. Hmm. So I just think it's fascinating. Um, 
all the steps that we take to try to be perfect. And I hate, hate, hate that being in a professional Christian band made so many people so jaded and angry that they can't even pray right now. It, uh. it pisses me off, but it is what it is. And those people have to do the work when they have the strength to do it or the, the time or not time when they want to do it, they will. But so many people in the Christian music world have allowed themselves to become yeah. hurt and jaded. Yeah, it's a heartbreaker. Sucks. <laughs> it's a heartbreaker. I know, right? Are they accepting the grace? It's hard to accept the grace, dude. That's even more heartbreaking. That someone did this for us, that sucks. That's pathetic. Jesus on the cross is probably the most pathetic thing. Hmm. Disgusting. Gross. But it's beautiful, yeah. you know? I mean, it's it's he, he's making himself weak, and it, and it just pisses me off that he had to do that for us. <laughs> but he did, you know? Wow. I would love to see the next chapter of uh, Leonor Ortega Till. <laughs> okay, I'll keep you posted. Facebook that are like, look to the stars, or you never know what you're going to do. Something will tell you in a whisper, all these cheesy things. And I never really pay much attention to that. But today I saw one and it said plot twist. And those words rang kind of heavy with me, like life plot twist. I mean, I did want to have kids someday. I did want to get married. I did want to um, do a lot of the things I'm doing. But to, to take away the security at working at Scum of the Earth Church, and there's a lot of security that comes with that. I have an amazing pastor, an amazing support team financially, prayerfully. I have men and women that um, are my brothers and sisters in Christ, a great community. Why I'm going to trade this for um, a stab at something new is kind of stupid, but I need to see, you know, I'm going to be 40 this year and I need to see if I can do this. I need to see if I can um, 
uh, spread, spread myself a little thinner for the glory of God's kingdom. And so I want to do that. I want to have some hard talks and I want to, I'd love to go to School of Rocks or to high schools or to jails. I'm, I'm not very intimidated by a lot of places. So I'd love to just speak and um, speak to people that are like me when I was in high school and just be like, you don't know. You don't know what it's going to be like. Yeah. You think it's this and it may not be. Hmm. The other thing is with Five Iron, we'll be playing some more shows, but we've uh, we've hit a turn in the road and we're, we're a family band, meaning we view each other's family. And one of our family members, yeah. Mindy Verdecchio, has gotten breast cancer. And so as a family... This is a rough, yeah, this is a rough season, Mark. So we're, Ugh, we're taking yeah. it day by day as a, as a band and as a family, because, uh, the Verdecchios need our love. They need our finances. They need our time and they need, they need our, our patience of our fans. So we're being patient Yeah. and, uh, see how that goes. But, uh, right now I'm not, you know, that's a small thing. The band is a small thing and I'm starting a new band. It's called the fast feeling. And again, that's a small thing too. Like in comparison to the needs of Andy and his family right now, it's just things are, Things are at a pace that we can make them happen, but but I'll keep you posted. Who's in Who's in the fast feeling with you? Scott Kerr is the main writer, and Andy Verdecchio is uh, playing mm-hmm. drums. I'm singing. <laughs> I'm singing in a band. <laughs> it's like yeah, I like it's that. awesome. I love it. This is killing me, and I can't <laughs> wait to play shows. This is going to be a whole new scene. That's I just killer. I'm going to bite the heads off of peeps and throw them in the crowd. I'm going to go nuts. This is going to be all right. All right. Yeah, this is going to be so fun. <laughs> But it's but it's paced, so yeah. Okay. Well, I want to make sure you know for Andy and and for his wife. Like, is there anything that anybody can do uh, that they can contribute to? Or yeah, I'll I'll send you a link. But we have a there's a GoFundMe page for Mindy Verdecchio. Okay. So yeah, people can donate finances, and that's the best way because she was she well she is a hairdresser and she's having to take some major time off, and so. Uh, it's a big deal. Yeah, that's that's the paycheck to paycheck gig. Yeah, yeah, right. Absolutely. So we'll make sure to put that out there and let people know, and of course, let them know about the band and all. I just want to say thank you for being so patient with all this wackiness that's happened here. <laughs> that's fine. Today. That's fine. <laughs> it's sort of like uh, Christian rock, the pathway of. Well, you wonder why I have patience, and I—I I mean, I was in a band with eight people, <laughs> so that takes it to a different level entirely. Imagine having yeah. a Google chat to figure out like one color of a record and there's eight people that care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm in this new band. I know exactly what that's Less like. Less people. <laughs> Less people. And, uh, and you're the singer. So it, ultimately you get to make all the choices anyway. <laughs> oh, no way. The songwriter always gets veto power in our crew. Always. Uh, I know. I'm sort of being <laughs> facetious. No one really asks oh, me. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. We get to make the decisions. Ortega Till, coming soon to you by way of the fast feeling or who knows, maybe something more. Now, listen, before we wrap this up, there is something very important uh, that I would like to mention. You may have read this link on Facebook or Twitter. 
some sort of social media, uh, but you're hearing it now uh, from my voice to your ears. Andy Verdecchio, currently of the Fast Feeling and also a Five Iron Frenzy member, is married to a lovely human named Mindy. And she is currently, uh, well, she's currently kicking cancer's ass. And it is my pleasure and my, my good fortune to invite you to help her with the kicking. There is a link on the show page. Please click on there. I'll also paste a link on my homepage on Facebook. But yeah, click on that thing. Let's do that together. To the business of things, uh, tonight you heard a lot of Five Iron Frenzy songs. So many albums. <laughs> uh, I'm probably going to hose this, sorry. But uh, I played the Old West, the demo version, just because I know there's no way that that version is the one they would have picked. <laughs> also, I also love hearing the way the band has grown, so tough. We heard Handbook for a Sellout from 1998's Our Newest Album Ever. All That Is Good from Proof the Youth Are Revolting. And On Distant Shores and Something Like Laughter from The End Is Here. And last but not least, a small clip of Eulogy from the appropriately titled Five Iron Frenzy 2 Electric Boogaloo. The fast feeling can be located on Facebook, as can Leonor. And please, if you're looking for a genuine human to come to your place on this planet and be around the humans to whom you've been given charge of, uh, please look her up. She's inspiring. She's encouraging. She understands the art of exhortation. I spent a couple weeks on the road with her on our poetry tour, and this is me vouching for someone. So call her up. Do it. Okay. Any other songs you heard on this show were from my bands, White Lighter and Stavesacre. Uh, this show was produced by Billy Power of Urban Achiever Studios. Should you have a podcast that you need to sound awesome and be awesome, he's your man. You can reach him at Urban Achiever Podcast and on all sorts of social media. Uh, or just hit up Billy on Twitter like the rest of us do. If you like this show and would like to contribute to it, please, this time, skip us and go drop something in the bucket for Mindy Verdecchio. And I thank you in advance for doing so. Until next time, where a certain uh, XL, formerly of a 10-inch Afro, will be here to talk about 90s rock and hot sauce. Thank you again for being here. Be good. Rainbow out.